Proverbs chapter 11, here's one for you, verse 29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Did you say, wow to that, honey? Good. All right. Great. So, Lord, um, as we get into your word today, we, we spend time in the only thing that you honor even above your name. Scripture tells us that you honor your word even above your name. Lord, fill us with life and speak to us, Lord. Somehow make our hearts larger than they were when we came in. By the work of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I, don't, um, <clears throat> I don't have anything against it, but I don't play dominoes. I mean, I'm, I don't even know if I have dominoes. And um, I, I really don't even know how the game works. But I'm guessing that in this crowd, there's hands. Anybody here play dominoes? Yeah. A lot of people play dominoes. Okay. Uh, you'll teach me, and you'll just play for money, I'm sure. Okay. So um, anyway, I, I know there's, um, you know, the only thing I do know is that if you take your dominoes and you stand them up, you push the first one, and the rest of them go, right? And um, I, I, I started looking into this, because um, you'll get this as we get into this a little bit, but uh, I, I found out that dominoes is really a big sport in many parts of the world. In fact, some places, whoop, too soon, Stop. It's coming. <laughs> um, but in some places, they play it like a sport. And, um, oh, yes, sorry. I see what, what happened there. Um, they play it like, just like poker. They play it like poker. And um, there's even an international federation. So, I, so there's another thing besides dominoes, and that's domino toppling, which is a sport. Maybe we can go back and show that video. Um, and so this is a good way, once you start this, if you go to YouTube... You're going to burn a lot of time. There's a, a lot of people that do this as a sport as well. In November um, of 2009, in Lee Warden, Holland, a world record was set of just under 4.5 million dominoes that were toppled. And there are actually domino toppling associations in almost every country in the world. And this is the reason. You get to destroy stuff, I guess. I'm... These people have entirely too much hand, time on their hands. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was supposed to be studying, and that's, you know. And the, this, this game of domino toppling has, you know, actually over years, I think, um, come up with a phrase that's become a part of our vernacular. We, uh, we talk about the domino effect which is a chain of small events that lead to a larger event. And usually in the mind of the person, it's a catastrophic event. And um, last week, we talked about passive parenting. We talked about absent parenting and um, how that can lead to a, a, a domino effect of, of bad things happening in a, in a family. And um, I, I found that that phrase, as I was studying, that phrase, the domino effect, is actually being used by people who study family relationships and problems in, in marriages and families. And, uh, and so I, I picked up a few quotes. 
quotes. Let me read a couple of quotes to you about this too. Um, this one's from a guy named Terrence Holmes who wrote a paper for Johnstone Smith University. about. He's talking about passive parenting absent fathers. And he says, the domino effect is fathers vanishing from families. Unattached males are the cause of many of today's social ills. Um, in a book that was written um, by, um, it's called Survive Against All Odds, which I haven't read. I just read a review about the book. Five, it's a book, to, five different women tell about their, their experiences um, about abandonment and some problems of neglect and abuse. And the review says this, it says, the book shows how the domino effect can throw a life out of control. Another paper I, I read, part of Resolving Child Support Systems in America, all about a father's absence. These sound really boring papers. But anyway, it said this, just by fixing this problem, you're fixing a major problem which has caused and created a domino effect in the world. So how do you stop these dominoes? You know, how do you keep this chain of events that can happen from ruining families? How do you, how do, you do that? Just like in domino toppling, it's all about positioning and placement. It's all about that. So how do you stop relational dominoes from falling? Today I want to take a look at that from the positive side. Um, last week we were really looking at it from the negative side and one of the worst family disasters ever of King David. And today I just want to share some really, really good news. You actually can stop the dominoes. You can actually succeed over this. And, and all of the research shows that with just a little bit of consistent parental involvement, you can make all the world of difference in a family. Homes can be secure. And uh, there's, a, there's research, research done on this, and one was by the Christian Businessman's Connection. It says this, when a father is an active believer, there is a 75% likelihood that the children will also become active believers. Dads, you have a big, big, big part, part in that. So well, let's get into our text. Today we're going to be mostly in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 24. And this is, this is on, probably, you might even have this on a sign in your kitchen. We do, or somewhere in our house, and we have forever um, this, starting in verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as, far, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The, word is, the Lord is speaking through Joshua here. He says, you know, choose for yourself. This is whether it's the, the people on the other side of the river who serve different gods, they don't follow me, or the people on this side who are surrounding you. In other words, he's saying, even though people are completely surrounding you that will not follow God, you make a decision who you're going to follow. So he's causing, and, and Joshua has, had seen this, this domino effect of sorts happening in his day. And what he was seeing as he looked around, and he was the national leader, what he was seeing was a tilting among the people towards idolatry. And uh, he decided on that day he was going to take a stand and stop those dominoes from following. And, and, following. and, and it took a strong man with a very strong and straight message and in, in this, this strategic moment. And I think that's what it takes today. It takes strong men and women to um, give a straight, straight-up answer and um, tell the message. It's, it's a truthful message and do it at a strategic moment. So I want to go back to this and look at Joshua, um, this, this person who's the chairman of the board. He's the military leader of the nation of Israel at this point. He had taken over after Moses. 
So he's, he's, he's the guy after Moses. Pretty good credentials. Um, let's see where he starts out in, in, in verse 1 of the same chapter. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Now this is Joshua's, to give you some context, this is his last kind of state of the union message um, for the whole country. He's about 100 years old about this point, and uh, maybe more, and he's earned the right to speak up and to be listened to, okay? And he served well, and he took over from Moses when he was about 80, and, um, and he died when he was about 110, so this is about halfway between when he took over. But this is his final, final recorded message in the scriptures as leader of the nation, as the general of the army, of, as, the, as we might call him the head of our Department of Homeland Security. Of all those roles, this is his last one. And, and um, so notice that he went to Shechem, okay, which is right in the middle of the country of Israel. Um, if you're not familiar with it, you can see I've circled it in a kind of a bright green. It's hard to see, but if you look at the general area at the time of Joshua, this is kind of right in the middle. And um, I, I think he took them to Shechem because of some very important spiritual implications of, of Shechem, of that place. The, the reason is that um, Abraham built an altar to God there. There were several things that happened. Um, Jacob reaffirmed his commitment to God at that place. So he calls them to this, this location with, with historical and spiritual significance. And he shares his final message, which we, which we read in chapters 23 and 24. And what I want you to notice as we read through this is, are the priorities of this man. I mean, though, although he is the general, he's the chairman, he's the president, whatever we would call him, he does not approach them as the leader of a nation of three million people. He just, you know, or their civic leader. He identifies himself as the leader of a family. A leader of the family. As for me and my house, in verse 15. And that word house, in the Hebrew, Hebrew there, Baeth, I've also heard it pronounced Bay, but, but Baeth, it means household, it means family. It's not the structure. It doesn't mean, as for me and the four walls that I've built, Okay, it's not, he's not saying, as for me and my, those who live under my, this, he's, he's saying those, not the roof. You get the distinction? It's not about the building. He's speaking about people and his family. And it's a very common uh, root, root word that's used in, in, in Hebrew, and it's in a lot of other words that you know. An example is Bethel, Beit, Beth, El, House of God. Bethel means house of God. Another one is Bethlehem. Lehem is word which means bread or um, the place where the, the, the grain for the, the, the wheat is grown. So Bethel, house of bread. Or excuse me, Bethlehem, house of bread. You, you knew where I was going there with that, right? Anyway, so as for me and my family. And I ask myself the question, why does he decide to make this declaration as a family leader? A family leader. You know, instead of saying, well, I'm your general, do what I say, why, why would he say that as for me and my house? I think, I think it's because he understood that families shape the moral character in a nation. Families do that. If you're expecting someone else to shape the moral character of the nation in which you live, it's not going to happen unless it happens through families. And, um, and, and he knew that, that the temperature of the nation is set in the home. In fact, um, several um, leaders later, you come in the scriptures to a guy named Solomon, and he builds this uh, temple, and, and God is very pleased. And, and God says to him, if my people, who are called by my name, 
will humble, humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their, heal their land. Heal their land. I mean, the people. He never said, okay, if the king does these things, if the government does these things, it's the families that shape the moral character of the nation. There's this um, growing business and trend that's kind of rooted up and started up in Japan. And um, let me say this. If you have strong families, you'll have a strong nation. If you have weak families, you're going to have a weak nation. If families are unraveling, then then the nation will unravel. And uh, so in Japan, there's something going on there that's trying to address this. Excuse me. Too much talking and not enough drinking. Water. It's good. Thank you. (laughs) So... Important to clarify that. Because uh, I know some of you were thinking, uh, whatever, okay. <clears throat> so there's, there's this trend in Japan, and it's, 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 it's fascinating, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's really sad. Um, and, and, this, and what's happening there is spreading worldwide. And uh, there's an entrepreneur, a, a guy in Japan, who saw a need, and um, he, he noticed a very large number of people who were uh, lonely and isolated people with living within families, especially many elderly people. And he decided to create a business to fix that. So he created this business, and for about 150,000 yen, which for our purposes we'll call it about $1,400, you can rent three family members to come to your home for three hours. And they will be whatever you want. You can have your three children come or your three aunts and your uncles. And, and they will just sit and talk with you for three hours or do whatever you need them to do. Um, it's, a, it's, not, it's, not, it's not prostitution. This is a relational thing. And these people will pay. And, um, and, and, and what many times happens is people will hire someone to come in and then they yell at them for leaving them alone as a son or a daughter. And you might think to yourself, okay, well, it's interesting. I'll bet you the guy's going broke. You'd be wrong. There is actually waiting lists for people to get the service. It's, in fact, it's so popular that other businesses just like it have sprung up. Um, another company uh, named Family Romance is owned and operated by a guy named Ishidi Yurichi. And um, this is the guy that's the owner of this other business. And this, his company formed just eight years ago. And it has grown now to, he's got 800, he calls them actors, from infants to grandparents, all in between, um, to fill whatever role people need. If you want to have a wedding, and you want wedding guests, or if you're losing face because you're not married, you can actually, he will bring a groom in, and the whole groom's party, and hire people to give speeches, and you can have a public wedding that's not real, but who knows? Who, who, you know, I mean, they do all this kind of stuff. So he sat down and did an interview with Atlantic Magazine just a couple of months ago. And I want to read to you just a couple of excerpts about this. His name is Yurichi. He says, I played a father for a 12-year-old with a single mother. The girl was bullied because she didn't have a dad, so the mother rented me. I've acted as the girl's father ever since. I'm the only real father that she knows. And this is ongoing. This is the question part. Yurichi, yes, I've been seeing her for eight years. She just graduated high school. Sometimes we dine together. We've been to the theme parks like Disneyland. We go shopping once a month. The mother pays about $200 US per four hours plus expenses. Does she love you? She does. It's easy to feel her love. 
She talks about her relationship with her mother. She shares sensitive feelings. She opens up to me. Does she understand that you're not her real father? No, the mother hasn't told her. How do you think she would feel if she discovered the truth? Yurichi, I think she would be shocked. If the client never reveals the truth, I must continue the role indefinitely. If the daughter gets married, I have to act as a father in that wedding. And then I have to be the grandfather. So I ask every client, are you prepared to sustain this lie? It's the most significant problem our company has. So you could be involved with her for the rest of your life. Yes, it's risky that she might discover the truth someday. Another client of his paid many thousands of dollars to rent five friends to whom he flew um, to Las Vegas to take pictures of all of the fun he was having with his friends so he could post it on Facebook. And uh, the, 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 the interview talks about that a little bit. The interviewer says, well, don't you feel like that's kind of bad, posting a f- fo- false truth on Facebook? And his answer was, no. Facebook is a curated um, source of false truths. People only present on Facebook what they want the world to see and to believe, and it's not always real. And he makes this comment. He, he predicts that there will be exponential growth of his business and others like it as a la carte human interaction becomes the new norm. France, there's a company called Super Grandparents, where, um, which matches children with grandparents for terms of one month to up to a year. In the United States, there's a business called Rent-A-Friend. You can look it up. I'm not suggesting you use it. Rent-A-Friend. And um, it's become worldwide. And as of yesterday, they have this little clock or this tally going. As of yesterday, they have 621,585 friends worldwide available to rent. They'll go with you to the club. They'll go with you to the park. They'll sit and talk with you over coffee. They'll go out to dinner. You want to rent a friend. The founder of the original Japanese company um, said this about why he created it. He said, there are lots of people who feel sad. Everyone is chasing money, and no one is paying any attention to the human spirit. The rat race is lonely. And when you pursue material gain at the expense of meaningful relationships, this is what you got left. So Joshua, the general the national leader, the civic leader, makes this stand as a member of his own family. As for me and my house, that's his priority. And Joshua wants to stop the domino effect that's this, this going on towards idolatry. So let's look at Joshua's challenge for his people. And here is how you stop the dominoes relationally. One, first thing is you got to choose. Joshua says, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. And by the time Joshua got to this bold stance he takes publicly in verses 14 and 15, he had laid the groundwork in the preceding um, 13 verses of that passage. And he gives the people in, in verses 1 through 13 400 years of their own history. Here's what he says. So now I want you to watch for the emphasis, and we're going to pick this up in verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. 
To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Verse 8, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Stop right there. There's a picture. Imagine in that day, hornets. <laughs> Man. Okay. He, God sends hornets. That's a crazy thing. Crazy cool. I mean, you know. Anyway, so he said, I just get stuck on stuff like hornets. Okay, so <laughs> I sent the hornets before you, which drove them out before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities for which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. You notice God's emphasis all through this passage. I brought you, I delivered you, I took you, I fought for you. You didn't do it, I did. And then verse 14, he says, now therefore, and that's where we started out today in our text. He's saying, basically, think about all that God has done for you. Now, therefore, make a choice. I want you to see he's calling them to choose this day. And it's based upon all that God had done for them. That's how it works. Look at the miraculous stuff that God's done for 400 years, you know, and, and brought you to today, to this place. Before, you know, and now, therefore, choose this day whom you will serve. And the commitment he's asking them to make is based as a response to what God has done for them. So I wonder. I wonder about Terry and I wonder about us whether the same thing could be said for us. I mean, I wonder if God hasn't perhaps perhaps at times arranged things by bringing you maybe and me today to this point where we, we would want to make a choice that would alter our marriage or our family or our lives forever. He calls them to choose this day whom you will serve. By the way, I think if you've been in the body of Christ for very long, you should probably know by now that your life is filled with all kinds of God-engineered moments. You know, um, every time you hear um, a message or you're on the, you, maybe you listen to it, um, some Bible teachers on the radio or you hear a sermon or something in your quiet time, Every time you have one of those little meetings with God, you and I are called to make a choice. In every single one of those meetings, he's calling us to make a choice, to change our behavior by the, by the will and with the help of God um, based upon what we hear, based upon what God has done. And God is always engineering those moments. In fact, that's how Paul the Apostle wrote you know, so much of the New Testament. And the, an example is the book of Romans. You know, he spent the first 11 chapters telling people what God did for them. 
And then he gets to, to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, um, I beseech you, therefore, because of all this stuff I told you that God has done, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Joshua calls them to make a choice. And what's the choice that he's asking them to make? Okay, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. That word fear, Yahweh, means reverence God. It means honor him and respect him, but it's also mixed with honor and respect him because what will happen if you don't? It's not just honor. It's be afraid of the consequences of not. There's, there's, it's a mix of what that word means. Um, okay, reverence. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. So it begins with this personal commitment to God. That's what God, that's what honors God, not religion. It's a personal commitment. Religion does not honor God. Doing stuff, you know, does not honor God. And I don't want to assault anybody, any, any other faith, but, but God does not require, doesn't need us to do things like light candles. He wants relationship with us. That is what, when, when we say, you, you are worth knowing and worshiping, that honors God. That's why we're amazed. I love that song, by the way. You took us on the great trail today. Alec, way, way to go. Thank you. Especially, thanks for coming on short notice. Dad's sick. Way to go. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you don't want me leading worship. I promise you that. Okay, so um, that would be a sacrifice on your part like you have never seen. So, you know, okay, so he calls them to make this choice. Now, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And it's a personal a personal commitment, and, and that's what honors God. And then the second thing is to live according to the truth, sincerity and, and wholeheartedness and truth. And so, I mean, I wonder, have you ever stated that intention to your family? Have you ever, you know, gotten them together and said, honey, kids, I just want, I just want to make something clear to all of you. I just want to just re- revisit this. That, that this house is set apart for the glory of God. And we want to honor God. That's how we want to live. Um, maybe you have heard of John Fuller, a guy um, who's on Focus on Family Ministry. And if you listen to that program, he's on the radio quite a lot. You know, he's, he made this comment about parenting. He says, it makes me for, far more, he talk, he's talking about intentional in his parenting. Intentional parenting to honor God. I don't know who made this quote said, um, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of, the, the, of God in his father. Let me do that again. I botched that. A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Whether you're a single mom or a single dad or you are you know, a family that's intact, as soon as you choose to make honoring God your intention, you will have all of the resources of heaven available to help you. And you need them. You need them. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, same word, baeth, okay, house, they labor in vain who build it. This scripture is not talking about carpentry. It's not talking about construction. It's talking about your family. Basically, it's saying, you can't pull this assignment off in your own power and your own strength. The answer is not to be found in Amazon's top 10 lists on family and parenting life. 
You know, you need all of God's resources. And as soon as you say, I want my life, I want my home to honor God, God will partner with you in that, in the raising of your kids. He'll partner with any parent who will honor him. So how do you stop the dominoes? First one is that you need to choose, and the second one is you need to separate. Keep reading in that same verse, uh, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him with in sincerity and in truth. We'll continue. And put away the gods which your father served. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about false gods. He's, he's, he, the, the people in the nation were already starting to fiddle with some of the false gods that were in that region around them. And he says, put them away. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, thanks for mentioning that, Terry, but you don't need to. I got this covered. I don't have any false gods at home. I don't have any little idols. I don't bow down to worship any of that kind of stuff. I, that's good. It's good that you don't have any. And the thing is, though, that an idol is way more than just a statue. An idol is a replacement, any replacement for God. That's what an idol is. Anything, any ideology that replaces God as a priority has the potential to become an idol in your life. So I ask you, what is the most important, what is most important in your life? What is your priority because whatever it is I'll tell you what your kids know you know if they're at an age to draw conclusions it doesn't really matter what you tell them oh God is our priority kids Um, but they know if it's true or if it's not true and they know where your priorities lie put away the gods which your father served and in our context one way that could sound is like this you know put away the baggage that you got from your parents Put away the baggage about the way you were raised. Well, the reason I'm so angry, the reason I'm so detached is, you know, the reason I am the way I am is because, you know, my dad did this, my mom did that. You know, I'm a victim of this. And, and, and listen, those are legitimate, real problems. It's true. I don't want to minimize those problems. I mean, how we are raised has a very large impact on who we are. It can be both positive and negative. However, now that you know that about yourself and now that you have the Lord Jesus Christ living in you, now that you have the Holy Spirit guarding you, guiding you, change. You can't hold on to that forever. You can't, you can't hold on to that old life. Well, I got an angry temper because I'm Irish or I'm Italian or because my parents made me have a cat. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, no. You are the way you are because just like the rest of us, you're fallen. Fallen human being, just like the rest of us. And there comes a point and a place of health when we just say, that's over. I'm going to separate from that now. Remember, domino toppling is all about placement and position. Remove yourself, separate yourself. And you can do it. You can do it because of what God has done in you and for you and because of what you know about yourself. So what if maybe, you know, we were to consider the difference that it would make at some point if, if you were to gather your family together, someplace important, special, someplace memorable, don't wait, but find a way to do this and say, you know, we're going to make some changes around here and we're going to start with me. And, you know, I'm, I want you to know that, you know, daddy's career and daddy's hobbies and watching television, even football, 
is not going to be, you know, that's, that's not going to be what's most important around here. The most important thing is I want you to know it's going to be God is going to be most important and you are going to be most important um, in this family and in life. What a difference that would make in our kids. So to stop the dominoes, the first thing we do is we make a choice and the second thing we do is we separate. Last week, we looked at a lot of negative stuff about David's family and um, what happens when families are fatherless. And there's a flip side to that when um, the, there's a lot of really good things that can happen in a family that has a good uh, paternal impact. There was a study done in the United Kingdom in England and it involved 17,000 children they, that were born in 1958. And the study followed them along and spent time and interviewed them all at ages 7, 11, 16, 23, and 33. 17,000 people. And here were some of the conclusions that the study um, came up with. Children involved with their father were less emotional and, and had less behavioral difficulty through adolescence. That's good. Another, here's another one. Teenagers who, who feel close to their fathers in adolescence will live more satisfactory, satisfying adult lives and have better relationships. This is a scientific study. Girls with strong relationships with their father in adolescence will lack psychological distress that plagues many people in adulthood. And that's just one study. There's another uh, 26-year-long longitudinal study where they were following people. And the researchers there made this statement. It said, the single most important childhood factor in developing empathy, caring for other people, empathy is paternal involvement. Dad, if you want to raise a generation of children who care about people, you have to care about them. Our involvement is key. Participation is key. And, you know, I, I suppose long about now, some, some of us might be thinking, you know, Terry, I'll do respect, but you don't have any idea about my family. You don't know my kids. You don't know my wife. You don't know what we go through. You don't know what, how we spend our time. We, we are so busy. Do you know where they, you know, so I, you might think that, you know, and I'd say, well, thanks. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think I do know where they spend their time. USA Today did a research, so here's, here's, some, here's, some, here's some information about the average number of hours per week that teenagers spend their time, okay? Okay, boys and girls, spend time. Surfing the net, 16 hours a week. Writing email, 17 hours a week. Time out. Who are they writing to? Parents, you should know. You should know. I'm not saying anything other than that. You should know who your kids are spending their time with. Working at a job, 8 to 10 hours a week. Homework, 8 to 12 hours a week. Exercising, 6 to 7. Volunteering, 3 to 4 hours a week. Yeah, they're busy. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all, we all agree. Everybody's busy. But where did the study say they want to spend their time? They asked ask this question. If I could, I would spend more time doing What? said studying. Okay. 17, that wasn't me. (laughs) 17% said um, in a paying job. I mean, that means 17% of them are working for you for free, I guess. I don't know. Um, But anyway, 17, 22% said they'd like to be working out. 44% said hanging with friends. 50% said with my family. The biggest answer, with my family. That's their heart. That's what they want. They may not always do a good job of telling you that's what they want, but that's what they want. They want you. And Joshua leads his family into what's best for them. And it's personal and it's collective. You know, it's for himself, 
as well as for his community, his, 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 his whole family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to serve God with my family. So now, what, I'm going to paraphrase this whole thing that Joshua is saying here. You know, he's saying, okay, Israel, for the last 400 years, you've seen all the stuff that God's done for us, and I can't speak for all of you, and I can't make you make this decision for this entire nation, and I can't tell what you're going to do here, but I can say what I'm going to do, and I'm going to honor God as a man. And as best I can, I'm going to honor God as a man in front of my wife and my children. And they're going to see it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And here's the principle here. Our personal spiritual commitment should affect every relationship. Every relationship. It should affect every relationship we have with everybody we touch. Hudson Taylor, he's dead now. He's a famous uh, missionary who went to China in the 1800s. He said this, if your father, your mother, your sister or your brother, even your cat and dog in your house are not happier for you being a Christian, it's a question whether you really are. (laughs) The salient question here is, does your personal commitment affect your other relationships? By the way, to take a little bit of the edge off of that statement, you know, it, it doesn't require you to have a perfect family, right? To, to affect people. Last week we said there's no such thing as a perfect family. You know, every family tree has to have some sap, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean perfection. What Joshua is doing here is, <laughs> it, what he's doing here is something that was taught to him. For all those years, he hung out with Moses. And, you know, and he, was, he was there hanging by like an assistant for a long time. He heard, he heard Moses when he was talking to the people and about the laws. And he watched Moses and, and, and he saw the things that Moses said and he took it to heart. And this was the pattern that he's using now to pass on and to train the next generation. He's passing on truth. And we can see this happening in Deuteronomy um, chapter 6. So here's Moses. He's giving commandments to the people of Israel. Verse 1, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, and that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you. And your sons and your grandsons all the days of your life, and, and that your days may be prolonged. You catch that? There's something there, men and moms and dads, about passing on God's truth and ways of doing things to your children and your grandchildren that is connected to you having a long and prosperous life. Verse 3, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he gives them this commandment, and and then he goes right on in the next couple of verses to tell them how to respond to this. God tells them in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. It's personal. This is so personal. Joshua made a personal choice. As for me, there's a second component here and it's collective. It's communal. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk 
of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're laying, and when you're standing, sit, walk, lay, pretty much, he wants, I guess, for us to talk to our children about God all the time. Because I don't see any time excluded from that. I guess when you're sleeping, you have to do it in your dreams, but (laughs) come on. Okay. So verse six, excuse me, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, and he will, right? He is going to ask you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? When your son says to you, why do we have to have all these rules, dad, mom, why all these rules? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. There is a current relevant way of saying that to your children that is so true and that the Lord intends to use to shape their heart and their will. So in these scriptures found in God's, you know, we, we just look at these scriptures and we see God has given us a pattern for passing on truth to the next generation. Right there in those verses, he, he, he says, personalize it, you make a choice, separate, and then make a stand. And it goes from parent to child. And it gets passed down. And as it gets passed down, that equips your children to be able to do it with their children who need to be able to do it with their children. And we're responsible to pass that on. A parent is a partner with God in discipling their children. So how do you keep the cycle of failed and broke relationships from continuing? How do you stop the dominoes? We do it in the community and you do it in your home. At a very practical level, you do it in the community and you do it in your home. Here's what I say in, in the community. We, um, here's just one example of it. Your, ki- your children have a friend, maybe a disaffected friend. Invite them to your house for dinner. Invite them to participate with your family in activities so that normalcy, health, can rub off. If their parents are willing to let you ha- have them for some time, then invest the love of God in, your, in, in those kids. You know, you eat a lot of meals, right? Have them there with you. Let them see what a family is like. Love on those kids. And in your own home, you say, I'm going to follow God. We're going to follow the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. And that statement by Joshua is more than this. It's more than, I'm going to follow God, and as long as you live under my roof, you're going to follow these rules. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to follow God. My household is going to follow God. And in fact, I'm going to lead my family in such a way that when they're out from underneath my roof, out from underneath my rules, they're going to still want to follow God. That's the challenge to which we rise as parents. Not to to maintain order for 18 years. Train up a child in the way he should go. You have to walk that way.